And now, enjoy this free Jason Modcast show. Hey there, this is Ralph Garman, and you are listening to the World of Myth Bits. You made an excellent choice. The World of Myth Bits. Welcome to the World of Mythbits podcast. I am your host, Stephanie Barty, and this is episode 21. Can you believe that? 21. I have managed to survive 21 episodes. We've seen hosts come. We've seen hosts go. We've seen guests come. We've seen guests go. We will get back to interviewing the uh, member of the month um, shortly. And... The first one that we will have coming up in the, few, in the near future is going to be Kevin Adams and the Mythmaster himself. Ooh, I think we're in for a treat for that one. That's if, you know, the Mythmaster wants to come out and play. Um, the interview will solely be focused on Kevin and his story, but we'll see what we dig around. <laughs> anyway, so I'm sure some of you have seen online this interesting, exciting little tidbit that happens to have scrolled through your feed. It's all in like retro colors and looks like opening night for, you know, Club 55 or is it Club 55? Studio 55. I don't know. I wasn't alive in the 60s. I was barely alive in the 70s, and I don't remember much of the 80s or 90s. Anyway, um, I hinted earlier on my Facebook page, um, The World of Mythbits, at Facebook, that's T-W-O-M-B-P, about something special coming up. And then today came out another little, I wouldn't really say a teaser, because it it gives a lot of information, but it is, we are presenting an open contract challenge. That's right. You heard it. Open contract challenge. Dark Myth Publications will introduce a contest to the people who have contributed to the World of Myth magazine. So if you've written a poem, if you've written a story, you are eligible for this contest. And it's a chance to win a contract to publish your manuscript. Now, the contest will be starting March 24th, 2019. And I can tell you there are going to be several phases to this contest. So there'll be seven different, not seven, several different levels that the person who wins is going to have to pass through, um, as we narrow down the submissions to the winning submission. Um, I will not be submitting because I work for the magazine <laughs> as the managing editor, and I will probably be heavily involved in the reading of the submissions and things like that. Um, but yeah, encourage your friends um, people that you know that have submitted to the magazine, get your stuff in. 
starting March 24th, we will be open for submissions and uh, we'll have more information um, closer to the launch date for this contest, for this challenge. Um, I have an email address for you to send your submissions to, but I'm, I'm really excited about this. I am stoked about this because I owe um, a debt of gratitude to Dark Myth Publications myself because they published my novel and um, I was just a writer on the magazine and yeah so I have my novel out through Dark Myth Publications and they are the ones that our hosts are, are um, actually going to be the publication contract company that you will be working with if you win but yes so the world of myth proudly presents our open contract challenge first annual oh i said it dave first annual so we'll see so yeah anyway there's your news there's your exciting woohoo yay oh my gosh get excited get writing get doing whatever it is you're doing polish that manuscript up get that poet poetry anthology together we'll see what happens so you'll have to bear with me. Um, I always record Sunday night because the podcast comes out on Monday. And I had thought earlier in the day, all right, yes, I have to podcast today because it comes out tomorrow, which is now today for you. And I went to a um, fact or fiction Q&A with the York Regional Police Department so it's the Writers Community of York Region, and they put on this Q&A with York Regional Police. And we had um, a civilian that works for the police, part, the police department, and an officer come in to answer our titillating and rather interesting questions that we had. Now, I, I will give credit where credit d is due. The lady, I cannot remember her name. I'm terribly sorry. Um, the lady that was emceeing the event did put a disclaimer to the police officers before she, we started asking questions. Please keep in mind these people are writers. Because some of the questions we were asking were procedural, were hypothetical, were for a friend, um, things like that. Like, can you lift, um, fingerprints from a body and how do you do that? Can you, um, is, because we see a lot of things on TV. And one of the main questions I noticed that was being asked by a lot of people is you always see on TV, you need the hair follicle to get DNA. And that is true. You do need the actual follicle. So they don't use, we were told they don't use that very often anymore because it's not very reliable. Um, fingerprinting was really interesting. It's not like you see on TV where they take your fingerprints and they throw them in a database and it goes boop, 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 match. It matches, it, it, Every fingerprint is different, but every fingerprint in a way is the same. And you can have similar fingerprints. So what 
the computer does when it scans your fingerprints is it makes markers, points. So he explained it like you're looking up at the night sky and you see all the stars. Well, those are different points. And then you connect those points and those points make, you know, Cassiopeia or Orion's Belt or Ursa Major and Ursa Minor. It's the same with fingerprints. So they have points and, you know, they measure things. And it actually comes down to once the computer spits out, okay, these are, say, five possible matches really still comes down to a human being sitting down with that little magnifying thing that they use and looking at the fingerprint that they collected from the crime scene and the fingerprint that they collected from the suspect or from these five suspects that the computer has printed out and comparing those fingerprints and finding the ones that match. So it really still does involve a lot of human work. It's not all computer work where they throw everything in the computer and lets the computer do the work, and the crime is solved in 43 minutes and 17 seconds. They probably got asked a question, well, I know for a fact they got asked a question today that they probably have never been asked before, and a friend of mine is writing an incredible dragon story, and it's geared for young adults, and um, it's set in our province of Ontario. So she uses major landmarks in Ontario and and towns in Ontario. And she wanted to know, because it's set in real world, in everyday, it's not a fantasy world, it's our everyday world. And she wanted to know what the police response procedure would be for a dragon tearing up Union Station. Would you call in the military? Would you call in the Canadian Army? And we found out something really interesting today. Apparently, uh, and I've Googled a little bit and still haven't quite found out, but apparently, according to the officer, the Canadian military cannot be deployed on Canadian soil. Hmm. Interesting. But we do have the Canadian National Defense, so... We're not completely defenseless, just in case any of you were wondering. But yeah, he said, you know, so we, he wouldn't call out, you wouldn't call out the army to come down and deal with this dragon tearing up Union Station. Um, and a lot of people, I think, when we had the huge storm several years ago and, um, Mayor Mel Lastman of Toronto had the tanks come in and, and what looked like military come in. And help clear the streets and remove the snow. And and it was basically a a state of emergency. Um, I think that was probably the reserves, not the actual army. Because most of our bases around here are training bases. They're not actual... I I don't know. I could be wrong. I could be wrong. I am not military personnel. So if you're planning on a hostile takeover, don't take my word on it and be surprised and say, oh, well, you know, the lady on the podcast said that you can't do this. And, you know, next thing you know, you're in a Canadian jail getting three square meals a day, warm bed, and the guards say please and thank you while they beat you down. (laughs) So anyway, 
Um, yeah, it was a really, really good talk. I got some really valid information. If I ever want to write a story that involves police procedure, um, I also had some questions answered about a recent. Oh, excuse me. Good lord, why is it every time I get on here I am gassy, burpy, They're little burpees? But anyway, um. It answered some questions for me personally on a personal matter that I was involved in. Um, it, okay, I'll tell you the story. Uh, my daughter-in-law was at home in her apartment and it's not in a very good neighborhood. The people in the building, not all of them are on the up and up, let's say. They're not all completely law-abiding citizens and not all of their income is claimed on their taxes and done in a nine-to-five have a paycheck deposited in the bank at the end of the week kind of way and she was home alone with my one-year-old grandson my son was at work and I get a frantic phone call at 4:30 in the afternoon my mom can't come over. Her truck won't start. I need, can you come over? You're, you're the next person that I called. And I don't mind being the next. She called her mom first. I would have too. Um, she said, can you come over? I am about to completely lose my shit and I need a clear-headed, responsible adult here with James while I break down. Okay, what happened? She said... I heard a loud bang, there was a cloud of smoke, I smelled gunpowder, and there's drywall everywhere, drywall dust everywhere, on my way. Didn't even bother to put clothes on. I wore my pajamas, threw my coat on, out the door, I went, as fast as I could. I got there, she was barely holding it together. I'm like, what the hell happened? So she showed me where she was sitting on the couch, and she pointed up to the ceiling and about three feet away from her there is this hole about the size of a broom handle in her ceiling and I say it's about the size of a broom handle because I took the broom handle and I put it in there to see how far it went and there was bits of drywall and ceiling paint all over the floor all over my grandson's toys all over my daughter-in-law, all over my grandson. And I'm like, where were you sitting? So she shows me where she was sitting and I'm looking at the angle of this hole. And I'm like, that came right, whatever it was, came right at you. And she had little cuts all over her face from what we now know to be shrapnel, but was we thought was drywall. And I look and she points to the wall behind her and there's two bullet holes about the size of a large BB in the wall behind her. At that point, pardon my language, there was no fucking around anymore. I was on the phone to the OPP, which is kind of like the American state troopers. Um, they are the Ontario Provincial Police. So they are, yeah, basically state troopers. And they're about the size of your state troopers. Jesus Christ, your state troopers are huge. But anyway, so called the OPP, and I wasn't sure if I should make it a 911 call or just call the OPP dispatch directly. So I called the OPP dispatch directly because I'm not one to overreact. 
although I was told I underreacted. And I spoke to dispatch and she's like, okay, is everybody safe? Yes, we're all safe. Nobody's bleeding. Nobody's hurt. But we haven't heard any noise from the apartment upstairs. And that's where it came from. So she had advised us to get out of the apartment, go someplace safe. Unfortunately, we didn't have the car seat for my grandson. So the safest place for us to be was going to be in the parking lot in the car. So the police got there. So we're at the door, bang on the door, open the door, and there's three or four really big police officers standing at the door. And the one who was about the size of a house, he had the battering ram. And he's holding this battering ram like it's no heavier than a, you know, a feather or a can of soup. And they're immediately barking at us, you know, not an intentionally mean way. But where did the shots come from? Did they come from the front of the building? Did they come from the back of the building? What angle did they come? I'm, I'm like, Dude, I'm not a forensic investigator. Come on in. I will show you the holes. You can make the judgment call for yourself. So I brought them in. I showed him the hole in the ceiling. I showed him the hole in the walls. And the cop turns to me and looks at me when he realizes. I said, my daughter-in-law was sitting right there. She had her head down because she was reading. Reading saves lives, people. Reading a book saves lives. She was reading a book and she was kind of had her head down and hunched over the book while she was reading. If she had been sitting up watching TV or sitting up playing with James because he likes to climb up on her and peek out the window, they both would have been shot. If she had had her head up, it would have shot her right in the forehead. So the cop's looking at it and he's looking at the bullet holes and where she was sitting. And all he said to me, he turns to me, he says, that's fucked up. Again, pardon my language, but that's what the cop said. And I'm looking at him thinking, you think? I'm trying not to panic because I need to stay calm for my daughter-in-law and I need to stay calm for my grandson. Who doesn't understand why all these big huge men are in his apartment and they're all a little agitated and why mommy's, you know, a little on edge. So I had to hang on to him because he was running around and he's only a year old and he kept getting, he wanted to see the policeman's, you know, shiny belts and all the neat things they have on their belts. And he wanted to explore and he was in the way and he's little. So I held him. And the only way to keep him occupied was to put on Baby Shark on my phone so he could watch it. So, yeah, the cops were not happy with me at that. They're all glaring at me. But you know we're going to have that stuck in our heads for the rest of the night. I'm terribly sorry. So sorry. Again, if there are any police officers on the Midland OPP unit that were at that call and had to endure that song and you listen to my podcast i am so sorry anyway we found out the police couldn't really tell us much because it was an ongoing investigation and they got us out of the apartment and we're standing in the vestibule where you come in the front door and the stairs go up to the upper floor or down to the lower floor where amber's apartment was and they bring this guy out and he's in the flex cuffs and he's got this blank stare on his face. And I'm thinking, Oh, psycho. Um, I was wrong. 
for thinking that, but you see somebody, you have a bullet hole in your daughter-in-law's ceiling and then you see this guy come down and he's got a complete blank stare on his face and you're freaked out and you're trying not to go into shock and you're holding your baby grandson in your arms. All you can think is, psycho. Now somebody was giving my daughter-in-law really stupid advice. I'm not going to say who, but they were telling her that she should have gone upstairs, banged on that door and demanded to know what he was doing and what was going on and who the hell did he think he was? Did he realize what he could have done? Okay, hold on. Well, back the ranting train up. First of all, dude's got a gun. Second of all, if he's suicidal and you knock on that door, he could shoot you. Third, if he's homicidal and he's got a gun, he could shoot you. And fourth, dude's got a gun. No. Hello, officer. Could you come and deal with this, please? You have those pretty little vests. They will protect you if he shoots through the door. So, please come. Do their thing. And I felt like we were completely surrounded that every single OPP officer in the area, and that includes... Midland, Penetang, Port Manicol, Victoria Harbor, and all surrounding towns had descended upon this building. There were officers going up the back stairs and officers going up the front stairs. And I swear there were officers running around the building and I was expecting them to be propelling down from the roof and crashing through windows and all of that. And it felt like everywhere we turned, there was... A uniform, an officer of some sort standing there or doing something. The entire street was lit up red and blue, red and blue, red and blue, red and blue, red and blue. I know this because I was pointing to James at the window to distract him. Look, James, red and blue, red and blue, red and blue, red and blue. Look at the lights, James, look at the lights. And, you know, wave at the police officer because I don't want him to be afraid of police officers. This is a very traumatic experience for him as well. And so my question for the officer today was, what is the actual procedure? Because when you're on the inside of something that's going on, you don't know what's happening around you. If you're on the outside watching it, you can say, oh yeah, there's many cops over here and there's many cops over there. But when you're on the inside of it, you don't know what's going on around you. So I asked him, this is what it felt like. What is the procedure when you get a potential gunshot call? And he said, every cop available descends on that area. We need to contain that area, contain the suspect if he's still on the premises, make sure civilians are safe. So everybody who is available is there. I said, so it really was every cop in town did descend on that building. He says, oh yeah. They would have had that building completely surrounded. There would have been snipers in places that you wouldn't have seen them. Watching once we knew which apartment it had come from. Uh, Oh my God. Okay. So the gentleman who the guns belong to is an older man. And he had just moved his son in a few weeks prior. And his son has Asperger's. I think that's he pronounced Asperger. Some people pronounce it Asperger's. Some people pronounce it Asperger's. This is what he has. And he was still in the process of learning 
on how to make the apartment safe for him, what his understandings and abilities were and, you know, what he had to do. And he had this gun collection that he has had for years and they're all old Civil War weapons. Now, he does have a gun license, but he, and he, he thought he had checked them, that they were all unloaded and he had them on display on his wall. First charge there is not having them locked in a gun safe. Even if you want to, to display them, they have to be locked in a gun safe approved case. So we got into trouble for that. The reason why his son had the blank look was he didn't realize when the gun went off that it had actually gone through from his apartment, gone through all the flooring and drywall and insulation and everything else, and into the apartment downstairs. He thought it had just lodged in the floor between the two apartments. So when he saw us, part of Asperger's is he emotionally shut down and was on suicide watch for a while, which breaks my heart. Um, none of the guns were registered because he didn't think, because they were so old, that they needed to be registered. They have all been confiscated. And what had happened was the son had taken a Civil War rifle off the wall. And he had seen his dad empty his guns numerous times. So there was a plate with a pile of gunpowder and the slug bullets that these guns used to use, the little round ones that look like um, bearings, ball bearings, or marbles. And he had dumped them out onto a plate and he had it aimed at the floor and he didn't even pull the trigger. All he did was cock the rifle and it went off. So the police had told us before they left, after they had taken our statements, they asked my daughter-in-law, are you a religious woman? And she is, yes, I'm Roman Catholic. I pray to St. Jude. And he says, well, you might want to light a candle and just say thank you for watching over me. And another officer suggested she go buy a lottery ticket. And at first we had no idea what it, what had happened or what it was. What had gone through the floor was, what, did he blow something up? What? And they weren't telling us much of anything. So when they came back to do their measurements and take pictures and see if they could find the slugs, um, there were two police officers talking and I did hear them say, look and say, okay, yeah, that was one of the rifles. It was either the rifle or the shotgun. And I almost dropped to my knees because if that had hit my daughter-in-law in the forehead, she would have nothing left of her head. After they left, they said that they would leave a police officer upstairs in the upstairs apartment where it happened because it was still an active crime scene. And if we needed to talk, she was there. We could go up and talk to her. I stayed with my daughter-in-law until my son got home from work. Now, my son had no idea any of this was transpiring. And the officer actually suggested that we not call him at work and tell him this. He wouldn't have been able to leave work. Well, he probably would have, but he would have been in a state of panic he either would have walked home, which was a fair distance, and it was a blizzard, and he could have been hurt. Um, he could have gotten a ride from somebody who would have been just as panicked as he was. So we waited until he got home. 
and I saw something I never, ever, ever want to see again, other than the bullet holes in the ceiling of my daughter-in-law's apartment. When Andrew came in and saw me sitting on the couch, he kind of gives me this quizzical look. Now, you have to understand where their couch is. As soon as you open the apartment door, the couch is the first thing you see. So if this had been worst case scenario and she had been shot in the head, he would have opened that door and either seen his son screaming in his high chair because he was in his high chair at the time eating and his wife dead on the couch. That would have been the first thing to greet his eyes. He walked in, he sees me sitting there and Amber's curled up beside me on the couch in her, under her safety blanket. James is in bed sleeping. And I said, son, we have to tell you something. What's going on, mom? What's going on? He said, just put your stuff down and come in. So he comes in and I show him the hole in the ceiling. And the first thing he says is, holy shit, that's a bullet hole. Yes, son, it is. And he started to get loud and angry. Son, your baby is sleeping. It took a while to get him to calm down, to go to sleep. Calm down. Everybody's fine. Everybody's alive. There is no danger. The police made sure. Talk to your wife. Why? What's wrong? And I said, do you see where I was sitting? He said, yeah. I said, your wife was sitting there. He says, well, yeah, that's her favorite spot. She always sits there look at the wall behind where her head would be and he sees the bullet holes and he dropped to his knees into his wife's lap and sobbed hysterically for a good 10-15 minutes and he just kept hugging her and kissing her and oh my god I'm so glad you're okay and crying and my heart shattered I held it together up until that point and it just, I still have nightmares about it. Um, I wake up in a cold sweat. I mean, I'm sure they do too. I wake up in a cold sweat at the thought that I almost lost my daughter-in-law, who is like a daughter to me. I could have almost lost my grandson. And if I had have lost either one of them, I would have lost my son. Physically, he may have still been here because if his son survived, he would survive for his son. But he would have been broken inside. My daughter-in-law is the love of his life. And a simple accident, freak accident, could have taken that all away from him. So there's your gun safety lesson for today. Um, never trust a gun, no matter how much you think it's unloaded. Don't ever trust it. But yeah, that kind of put a lot of things into perspective for me. Um, they're looking for a new place to live. So I described the scenario to the officer because I needed to know for my own peace of mind, I guess, that they took it just as deadly serious and were freaked out just as much as we were, even though it's their job and they're used to think, well, you're not really used to things like this in this town, but that when you make a call, I think I heard a gunshot or I think my apartment's been shot at. They don't send one or two officers to look at it and decide, okay, yeah, maybe 
They send everybody. Everybody was there. There must have been easy 30 cops. And that's pretty much most of the force. So it was a really good talk today. So what I'm, what I'm, I guess the point that I'm trying to make with all of this is look within your community as a writer, look within your community and don't look within just your town. If you have a vehicle or have means of traveling to another town, look in other towns. This was held in a town that is about an hour and 15 minutes away from me. And it was, I'm glad I went because it was very informative. Um, it was, it was great. Join your local writing communities because not only did I get a lot out of um, the talk, I met some really great people. I did some networking for the magazine. I did some networking for my book. And I was discussing with another writer who is in the process of writing a book. She was having a, a bit of a problem with some analogies. And so we were kind of bantering back and forth. And I said, oh, kind of like blah, 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 blah. And she went, yeah, exactly like blah, blah, blah. Oh, wait, blah, 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 blah. And, blah, blah. and I could, and I could use that. And she wrote it right down right away. She's like, Oh, thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. But just having simple conversations like that could help you to get over that, that hump that you're having a problem with. Sit and discuss it with another set of eyes, basically writers ears and you might be able to work out that problem or you might be able to offer something to somebody else. Well, I can't get past this. I'm trying to figure out how to incorporate this um, holiday that's coming up into this story. How do I do that? Oh, hey, this just came to mind. What do you think of that? Oh my God, I'm so using that. Things like that. That's, that's what writers should do is supporting each other. We're not out there to compete. Yeah, we all want to be number one, but the odds of being number one are, you know, it happens one in however many million there are on Facebook or on Amazon or wherever you're selling your book. But they hold really good workshops with really good authors and really good tips and tricks. Um, they hold self-publishing workshops if that's what you want to do, and they you can find a self-publishing workshop. You can find a world-building workshop. Um, and actually, I've just submitted to Ad Astra, which is the um, writer's convention that I go to every year. This will be my fourth year going. I will be doing a book launch at Ad Astra. And MJ and I were talking, one of the hosts of the event today and she is a member of the writers community of York region and her and I were talking today and we hadn't seen any of the panels that were up for Ad Astra and she's like I haven't submitted any panel suggestions yet and so I'm kind of batting one around about how to maintain your Canadian identity as a writer in an American literary world now, I will tell you, when I found out that the spelling of certain words in my book, like neighbor and flavor and color, when the Queen's English, as my publisher likes to call it, the Queen's English, was being changed to American English, I'm not going to lie to you. I cried. 
I was, I was really upset and hurt. And I did. I spent a large part of that afternoon in tears. Thankfully, I had a really good friend that I talked to about it. Um, because I was going to fight for that. I know a lot of you are probably thinking I should have, but American writers or American readers are so used to seeing words one way. And it's not any, it's not their fault. And a lot of American readers, when they come across a word spelt in the Queen's English, um, it takes them out of the story and they have to, okay, get back into the story. And that can take away from the story. You don't want to ruin that flow with a word spelt a way they're not used to seeing. You don't want them to be focused on that word. You want them to be focused on the story. So after a long, tearful, ranting, venting conversation with my dear sweet friend, I went back to my publisher and I explained to him how I felt that nobody really knows I'm a Canadian author except by my spelling in my book because my book is could be set anywhere, really. He did promise me that the printings in Canada, there's my Canadian accent for you, Dave, printings in Canada, Canada, um, when they are printed from the sister company in Canada, they will be the Canadian spelling. But because right now they're being printed solely by Dark Myth Publications, which is an American company, and they're sold on Amazon.ca, they're still the American spelling. But you can retain your Canadian identity in a totally different manner than just the way you spell certain words. And that's what this, I, I presented this workshop to MJ and I said, well, what do you think? She says, Oh, we should do that. And Melissa and yeah, and we'll do that. So I submitted it today. So we'll see how that goes. <laughs> so I may be doing a panel on how to retain your Canadian identity within an American literary world. Because you can write about places like Queen Street or Kempenfelt Bay or the Butter Tart Festival. Anything like that. And the American readers are just going to read it and go, oh, yeah, okay, whatever. But the Canadian readers are going to read that and go, hey, I know where that is, or I know, I've been to that, or I, yeah, I'm walking down Queen Street now, and what is it, Queen Street West, was it over by Spadina, was it, St you see what I mean? That's ways you can do it. Anyway, I'm giving you my workshop. <laughs> I'm not going to give you my workshop. What are we at? What are we sitting at? Because my phone keeps going dark. 39 minutes and 49 seconds. Now this week, I'm going to make sure I don't run over because I ran over last week. So, yeah, exciting news about the contest and exciting news about my day. And I did plug the magazine while I was there, so in the coming months, you could see even more new authors 
more new writers putting their stuff out. Um, if you're listening to the podcast and you haven't submitted, but you want to, don't be afraid to submit. You can submit, um, on the website page itself at www.theworldofmyth.com. You can email me directly at Stephanie Barty, S-T-E-P-H-A-N-I-E-B-A-R-D-Y, all lowercase, at theworldofmyth.com. You can Facebook me on my Facebook page, which is, I don't know, somewhere. Um, Stephanie Barty, you'll find me there. And that, you'll know the page because the banner is my book and it's a picture of me in a lantern. Um, just send me a message. You can also find me, I'm doing all the stuff that I should be doing at the end of the podcast, but I'm doing it now. You can find me on Twitter at Lupa B or on Instagram at Stephanie Barty Author. You can find this podcast on Twitter at T W O B M as in Mary P as in I have to pee. So two M B P. You can find the world of myth magazine on Twitter at, um, two M T W O M M might be two M's. Just look up the world of myth magazine. It'll come up. So will the podcast. And you can follow us on there. You can follow us. You can go to the World of Myth magazine on um, Facebook and send us a message there. We're everywhere. We're everywhere. We're everywhere. Come find us. Come find us. So I'm excited about issue 70, which is coming out in exactly eight days. Seven days, seven days, six days. Yeah, we're at the countdown now. Less than a week, February 24th. So if you submitted something and you haven't heard back from me yet, shoot me an email. Um, or if I've told you in a Facebook chat that we've had that your stuff will be in, your stuff will be in. But I will try. I'm going to be, tomorrow will be Magazine Monday. It'll be Myth Bits, Myth Bits, that's all folks. It'll be Myth Bits Monday. So the podcast will come out and it'll be Magazine Monday for me because I've got all my last minute editing to do and there needs to be a decision made on featured article and I need to let everybody who is appearing in the magazine know ahead of time this time. I want to get that right this time. I've been, I think I've been pretty good about it so far with February's issue, keeping up on everything. Um, jam-packed. Jam-packed. And I can't thank you people enough for sending your stuff in. The ones that send stuff in month after month after month. And the ones that are brand spanking new. Molly, you are a rock star. Thank you for sending people our way. Uh, oh, excuse me. There we are again. So it's going to be a really good magazine. And our magazine just seems to keep growing month after month after month. 
Now, again, I will stress, and I'm going to explain to you why I keep stressing. Even if you put the word in italics, please still underline it. Putting in italics, the way the magazine is set up, it's not a template that is used where you can copy and paste. The magazine is actually coded by hand in HTML. So there is a certain amount of coding that needs to be put in before the italicized word and after the italicized word. And part of my job is to put these little square brackets around everything that needs to be italicized so that it would, when it goes to Dave and he's doing the coding, he sees those, it tells it, this is what you have to do with it. So please, underline, underline, underline. If a word gets missed and you're reading your story and it was supposed to be italicized, then go back and check your story and make sure you underlined it before you send me an email and say, hey, dumbass, why wasn't this italicized? Because you want to be able to say, you know, okay, I did what I was supposed to do. You didn't do your job. And then I can grovel and beg and promise you my undying gratitude, I guess, if you stick around, um, and make it right. But you have to underline. And I've read a lot of, like, please read the submission guidelines. Thank you. That is my public service announcement for today. So, so far, you've gotten an exciting new announcement, new in the news. You've gotten, you've received a blurb about my day, traumatizing event that happened that correlated to the blurb about my day. Then you've got how to maintain your identity if you're a Canadian writer, Cliff Notes. And then you've got, please read the submissions, underline, underline, underline 101, again. (laughs) And it says, I've got about four minutes left, so I think I'm probably going to wrap it up. Keep watching because there'll be more information coming out about the open, I can't even remember what it's called now, open contract challenge. We will be releasing the stages, what we're looking, what you need to do to enter. You have to be, the main thing is you have to be a contributor to the magazine. That means you have to be writing stuff, have stuff written, have stuff sent in to us that you've written and it's been in the magazine. Doesn't matter if you did it in magazine one, doesn't matter if you did it in magazine 70. If you contributed something to the magazine then you are eligible for this contest. If not, you just get on there and you might want, you might be eligible next year. So I think since it is now quarter to 1 a.m. because like a dumbass, I forgot until 10 to 12 that I had to do a podcast. I'm going to wrap this up for this week. Thank you so much for listening in. I do appreciate it. And Drop me a line. Come find me. Say, hey, how you doing? You can find me at stephaniebarty at theworldofmyth.com. 
You can find the magazine at www.theworldofmyth.com. You can find the podcast on Facebook at The World of Myth Bits Podcast. You can find the magazine on Facebook at The World of Myth Magazine. You can find the podcast on Twitter at TWOMBP. And you can find The World of Myth on Twitter at, I do believe it's The World of Myth or TWOM. You'll find us. Come find me. And that is it. Hope you guys have a great week, and we will talk to you again next week. See ya! The World of Myth Bits.